the teaching ministry of Judah Olorimaye, a man called of God to compel consecration, provoke repentance, and inspire worship by the preaching and teaching of God's word and the miraculous demonstration of God's power. God's word is about to hit you as life and strength. Get ready for an encounter with grace. Two minutes after I teach today to take questions. So I'm hoping that there will be questions. And if you don't have questions for me, I have questions for you. I discovered it's been a while I actually asked you questions, which may not give me a true perspective on whether you're actually following or not. It is one thing to come, look at me, nod your head, but it's another thing to comprehend what we are saying. So I'll prepare some dangerous questions, which I hope to ask you. And if you don't get it, it will determine if or how I teach next month to determine that. If or how I even teach next month, because I don't like wasting my time. You should know by now. I don't like wasting matter. We are concluding the teaching series for today. Um, the spiritual man. We have just one more conversation in this direction. What was the topic of the first teaching? Even me, I cannot remember, so you can check your notes. Defining spirituality. However, we use the approach of explaining what spirituality is not. How many of you remember? Can anybody give me a clue on what spirituality is not? One, two, three. Spirituality is about sounding high. Being spooky. Illogical. Unreasonable. That's not what spirituality is. Any other one? Spirituality is not about being superstitious. The spirit of leg, the spirit of hand, the spirit of nose, the spirit of bad luck, the spirit of um, bad dream. That's not the idea of being spiritual. Tagging everything as spirit is not being spiritual. The spirit of tie, the spirit of suit. That's not how to be a spiritual person. What else did we say? One more. What? It's not about being in a churchy environment. And using churchy language, bless you, I celebrate you, praise the Lord. That's now what we call spirituality. Especially people use it in um, their workplace, their school place. We said that that's not the idea of spirituality. That particular point, maybe I have to do a sponsored post on Facebook about it. Because everywhere I go, I look at people and I say, ah. That's why we find it difficult to win evangelize. Because the way we approach themselves is already religious, not spiritual. Bless you, brother. Why you say that they know you want to preach? Jesus didn't start a conversation like that with people. Give me a cup of water. That's how it began. Give me a cup of water. That's how it began. That, you have to be very smart if you are going to be evangelistic. You can't just be appearing religious. You will chase people away. I shall put that Bible in the armpit like this. People will know that. What you do, Pastor Lele? You, you cannot. People, people, you already shut them down like that. Are you listening to me? You have to be very intelligent. What was the second week's teaching? The making of the spiritual man. Are you sure? And why would we say the spiritual man is made? Okay, we first of all explained the three kinds of men. Is that not so? Who is the natural man? The one that is not born again. 
What if he's a fine boy? What if he's very smart? Ah. What if he's very rich? What if you have a crush on him? He's still a natural man. <laughs> then who is the canal man? The canal man is the spiritual man behaving like a natural man. That's the simple way to explain it. He's spiritual by identity, but he's behaving like a natural man. And who is the spiritual man? The ideal Christian. Born again, behaving like a spiritual person. He is spiritual, he also behaves like a spiritual. What was the third teaching? Understanding the spirit realm. Is that not so? That was a, a little bit of a scattered teaching. There were many things said there. We explained various identities. I think that was the major thing we spoke about. God as spirit, Satan as spirit, demons as spirit, angels as spirit, man as a spirit. What is the argument against man being a spirit? There was a scripture that was used to explain the argument against man being a spirit. First Thessalonians 5. What? I didn't hear you. What does he say? I want to hear the quote. Or a paraphrase of it. The Lord preserves your spirit, soul, and we explain that if he says your spirit, it's not who you are, it's what you have. So he says your spirit. He didn't say the Lord preserves you, spirit, soul, body. He talks about it as a possession, not as an identity. In the same category with soul and body. So some theologians will say that man is not a spirit. Man has a spirit, has a soul, and has a body. What was the argument for the fact that man is a spirit? The biblical evidence first is in John chapter 3. Whoever is born of flesh is flesh. Whoever is born of spirit is... And that man was made in the image of God, which means that man was made as a spirit, just as God is a spirit. We clear on that? What was the fourth topic that was last week? Discerning the spirit realm. Why do you say it is important to discern spirit realms? I didn't mention it explicitly, but if you hear the conversation, you will hear me say that because there are many characters in the spirit realm. There is Holy Spirit, evil spirit, demon spirit, human spirit. What does it mean to discern? To separate, to distinguish, identify which of them is talking. See spirits that is talking, see soul that is talking, see flesh that is talking. Is it evil spirit? Is it God's spirit? Is it a spiritual dream or a solical dream? That was the idea. Okay, so that's the conversation in the last four weeks. What I would say very briefly this evening is titled Disciplines of a Spiritual Man. Once again, sorry we apologize, our projector is not available, but let's read from First Corinthians chapter 2. That's the text we have been considering in the last four weeks. First Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10 to 16. And then verse chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. But God has revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? 
Even so the things of the Spirit of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth. Please note the words again, teacheth. But which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man received not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who had known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, or as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto though you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying, strife, divisions, are ye not carnal, and walk as men? Tell your neighbor from today, don't be carnal anymore. And don't walk as an ordinary man from today. Do not be carnal anymore. And cease to walk as a mere man. Because the, the entire conversation we've been having in the last five weeks is to destroy carnality. To at least reduce its, um, its frequency of expressions and its domination over our lives. So this teaching will be a success if carnality reduces. Maybe not necessarily it's absolutely eliminated, but if it reduces, we have made progress. However, I will be teaching today on the disciplines of a spiritual man. Let's begin very quickly by saying that the ultimate expression of spirituality is to live in the Spirit. That expression that Paul mentioned in Galatians chapter 5, to live in the Spirit, is what we are trying to achieve by continuing the subject of the spiritual man. We are saying that there are many things in this subject, things like dreams, visions, prophecies, revelations, mysteries, portals, encounters. But while we are learning this subject, ultimately, so that we can live in the Spirit. That's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 and also verse 25. He says, I say then, walk ye in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In verse 25, he says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. I explained that to be in the Spirit refers to the constant, permanent presence of the Holy Spirit in you. But to live and walk refers to the giving yourself to the influence of the Holy Spirit, such that the Holy Spirit determines everything you do, controls your life. So what we are saying here is this. What, what we are trying to establish as a pattern of life, as a lifestyle, is that we walk in the Spirit, that every part of our lives is under the influence of the Holy Ghost. And I explain that whatever you are doing as a Christian, you can do it under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You can watch television under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You can eat your meal under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You can 
play soccer under the influence of the Holy Spirit, everything you do becomes something done under the influence of the Holy Spirit. To live and to walk in the Spirit. This is why we are learning the subject of the spiritual man. Now, this kind of life, living and walking in the Spirit, is not just a function of what the Holy Spirit does in us or does for us. Of course, that's the starting point. The reality of living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit begins with the indwelling Spirit. It comes to live in us. In Philippians 2 and verse 12 and 13, it tells us that we should walk out our salvation with fear and trembling. God is at work in us, but to will and to do of His good pleasure. God has work in us, requires us to walk out certain realities. So the Holy Spirit at work in you must be worked out. There is the indwelling Spirit in you, that is the Spirit indwelling you, living in you permanently. But that Spirit is not just there for decoration. It's to work out certain realities, work out certain expressions. This is what will now define you as the spiritual man. The spiritual man is not just defined because he has the indwelling spirit. Are we still together? You are not a spiritual man because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. You are a spiritual man when the presence of the Holy Spirit translates into expressions, visible outward expressions. That's when we can now call you a spiritual man. And I'm saying that that reality of living and working in the Spirit is not going to be just about the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. That's the starting point. But now that the Holy Spirit dwells in you, how are you going to respond? How are you going to react? What are you going to do with the truth that the Holy Spirit dwells in you? Some people, although the Holy Spirit dwells in them, still live in the flesh, still walk in the flesh, still remain carnal. It's not because the Holy Spirit is not in the Christian, that's why it's carnal. It's carnal because he is lazy. He is slothful. He is irresponsible. He has refused to yield his members and live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Any carnal Christian, you see, is not so because there is no sufficiency of the Holy Spirit. It is so because that person has not walked in the way he's supposed to walk in terms of yielding his life under the influence of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That means you can be as carnal as you choose to, you can be as spiritual as you choose to. Are you listening to me? Uh, that person is a spiritual person. I envy him. Stop envying the person. He yielded. He walked in a particular way. He gave expression to the reality you already have. There is no reason to envy him. You can do what he's doing and get the same results. It's not rocket science. It's not magic. It's not luck. It's not destiny. You can be as carnal as you choose to. You can be as spiritual as you want to. And I'll soon show you that many people actually enjoy their carnality. They, they are having fun with it and they don't want to let go of it. But the point I'm making here is this. The idea of living a spiritual life, being a spiritual man, is fundamentally you know, about you yielding to the influence of the Holy Ghost. Because in terms of the Holy Spirit living in you, that's a settled case. Everybody say it is settled. Say louder, it is settled. It's just as a settled case. You don't have to pray about it again. But now that the Holy Spirit lives in you, what are you doing with that truth? Are you yielding to that truth? 
Or are you lazy about it, slothful about it, irresponsible about it? So, it's all about we submitting to the influence of the Holy Ghost, submitting to the power and the presence of the Holy Ghost. And if this is true, it means it's more about discipline than grace. The spiritual man is more about discipline than grace. Grace is the starting point. But to arrive at that place where you live and walk in the spirit, it is more about your own personal discipline than the grace of God, which refers to the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit is already a settled matter. That has been achieved already. The Holy Spirit has been given. But to now translate that gift into a visible, tangible life that is described as the spiritual man, it's your discipline that will make it happen. It's your discipline. Paul was a very spiritual man, most of us will agree. Or even if we don't agree on Paul's spirituality, we agree that Jesus was a spiritual man. But what made Jesus a spiritual man was not primarily about receiving the Holy Spirit baptism or being empowered by the Spirit or being born of the Spirit that was the starting point but Jesus disciplined himself to live and to walk in the Spirit it was a discipline issue it was not just because he was the Son of God it was not because he was equal to the Holy Spirit in terms of their platforms or their offices in the Godhead it was because he disciplined himself he, on that day in Matthew chapter 4, when he was tempted to live by bread, he could have lived by bread. That may not even change his status as being the Son of God, but he chose to live by every word of God, which is to live by the Spirit. It's a discipline issue. Because many of us, this is where we actually fail. We hear all these wonderful truths about being a spiritual man, and we think it's all about what God does. So, one day God will take me to the third heavens, I will see plenty of visions and trances, I will enter into realms, and I will never be the same again. You can be visiting the third heaven every night, and you remain a carnal man, because you don't do anything with those experiences. The Corinthian church were like that. They had access to all the spiritual gifts. Paul said that they came behind, they were not lacking in any gift. Yet, they were described as carnal. Why? They were very lazy. They were very lazy. They bragged about being pastored by spiritual men, how they operated in the gift of the spirits, but they were very lazy. So, when I'm talking about, or when we're talking about the disciplines of the spirits, I'm trying to make you take responsibility for your spirituality. Take responsibility for your spirituality. The truth is that, for someone like me, for instance, I have not been exposed to too many supernatural encounters. Whatever you see working in me, whatever you see operating in me as spirituality is traced to discipline. Some of you have even had sudden, you know, appearances that encourages you to pray, encourages you to study, encourages you to do some of these spiritual activities. But some of us have had very scanty of that. I remember the first time I laid hands on somebody and the person fell down on the power of God. I looked at my hands and I was confused. Because prior to that time, I was living the regular, you can call ordinary Christian life. I wasn't even looking for any encounter. I've never grown up like that. I was just told, told 
to value scriptures, to learn to obey God, to love God and serve God. That was for me the summary of the Christian life. I was not, I was not thirsty for many of these things that young people chase after today. I wasn't seeking for it. What I'm trying to say here tonight is you will have to take responsibility for your spirituality instead of waiting for gifts, graces, appearances, special appearances to make you spiritual. No, those things will not make you spiritual until you yield to the disciplines of the spirits. Are we still together? I was checking the meaning of the word in um, Galatians chapter 5. And verse 25, that word walk in the spirit, I was checking what it means, and I discovered it's actually a militant term. That is, it's a term that is used among soldiers. This is what it means. It means to proceed in a row as the match of a soldier, to go in order. Now, if you have seen excellent soldiers parade, I've watched a few of them from the Chinese and a few of them, I think, from the Nigerian army also. They always excel in things like that. The Nigerian army is very, very excellent in things like that. When you see soldiers marching in parade, it's done fundamentally from a place of discipline. Discipline. Everybody moves in a particular way at a particular time, in a particular mannerism. It's a discipline. I mean... Discipline issue. So, when you say walk in the spirit, it's talking about what soldiers do to maintain order. The word walk there means to direct your life. Walk in the spirit means direct your life. Stop waiting for any wind of the spirit to direct it for you. Direct your life. Bring it under the influence of the Holy Ghost. That's what it means to walk in the spirit. So many of us are not taking responsibility for our spirituality. We are waiting for one major breakthrough in the realm of the spirit. When you will see an angel. And we believe that when those things happen, maybe there will be a supernatural, you know, appetite for Bible reading and for prayer. But many people have experienced that and nothing has changed, really. Somebody can, can see an angel today and commit fornication tomorrow. Those things really do not guarantee purity of life. Always real understanding. So, walking in the Spirit is fundamental, fundamentally about discipline. Putting your life under the influence of the Holy Spirit. This is very important because one of the issues we are facing today in our generation is that there is too much solical Christianity. Solical refers to the soul. Too much solical Christianity. 75% of Christians do what they do according to how they feel. I felt like doing it, so I did it. Why are you in this church? I just feel like it's a good church. I did it. Why did you pray this way? That's how I felt like praying. Why did you say this thing? That's how I felt like talking. So, instead of spiritual Christianity, many people are practicing solical Christianity. The soul has now become an idol. It now dictates what happens to the Christian. And I'm saying that you cannot really be spiritual like that. Because by the time we begin to consider the disciplines of the spirits, they are simple things, but they are things you have to do deliberately. You have to sometimes beat your body, force yourself to do it, even when you don't feel like doing it. Many people think that the spiritual man always enjoys spiritual activity. No. 
Spirituality is not about enjoying the activity. It's about doing what you need to do. When you enjoy it, when you don't enjoy it, you just do what you need to do. The work in the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit are not necessarily things you enjoy. By the time he talks about the fruit of the Spirit and he mentions love and joy and peace and faithfulness, they are not necessarily things you may enjoy doing. Walking in love and praying for those who despisefully hate you or despisefully use you and hate you and persecute you. They may not be things you do cheerfully as it were, but you have to do it. So, the discipline of spirituality is very underrated in our generation. And that's because we are more solical than spiritual. Which is what I am trying to correct. That mentality of just do it how you feel will not get you progress in your spiritual work. What is done is more important than how you feel. Say this after me. What is done is more important than how you feel. Somebody may feel very angry, but if he does not act in anger, his feelings are secondary. What he does is first of all more important. What he does. You may feel tired, but even though you feel tired and you pray, what you do is more important than how you feel. Your script in the realm of the spirit is not going to be marked from the place of how you feel. I may not feel like preaching. I may not even feel like I'm preaching well. That's not what God will ask me. God will not begin to judge me and rate me according to my feelings. He will first say, what did you do? Then how did you do it? Those are the things that count. Not how do you feel. Now that you have done it, do you feel good? Whether you feel good or not, you feel good. That's not, that's, not, that's not the issue here. Are you listening to me? So we must begin to prioritize actions of discipline. This is how the patriarchs lived. It didn't feel good for Abraham to come to offer up his only begotten son as his living sacrifice to God. If now you, what you go do? To carry your picking like this. The picking comes as you say, Daddy, now, some of you may not understand until you actually have a child. You know, some of your spiritual children can be calling you Daddy. Call it a bio. Call it Say, Daddy, there is fire. There is wood. Where is the sacrifice? Ah! We just read our Bible verse. If you know the emotional reality involved in that statement, you will break down and cry. He said, God will provide for himself a sacrifice. You think, you think that was about feeling good? We, we, we have made everything solical, 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 solical. So we think that worship is powerful when we enjoy it. I did not enjoy worship today. Was it you who were worshipping? Is worship for you to enjoy? It's called a sacrifice of worship. Sacrifice of praise. Do you know what sacrifice means? I didn't feel it. Joko. He didn't feel it. I did not feel the salmon today. Everything is solical, 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 solical. We want to feel everything. I can't be spiritual man like that. I didn't feel the Bible reading. Whether you feel it or not, oh count. Are you listening to me? Yes, sir. All those things are secondary. I'm not saying that your feelings are nothing, but they are secondary and most of us have overrated it. <laughs> so, the disciplines of the spiritual man. Anybody you see that is a spiritual man, in the true sense of it, it's not just about the indwelling of the spirit. It's also about deliberate effort 
to control the soul and the body. A deliberate attempt to bring the body and the soul under the influence of the spirit. That's how you, see, you recognize the spiritual man. Anybody that is not bringing their bodies and their souls under the influence of the Holy Ghost deliberately, even if they always feel high, always smoking Holy Ghost weed, it doesn't matter. They may ascend into realms and descend every day. But the most important thing is, do you bring your body and your soul under the Spirit? You know, we read many of the remarkable supernatural and spiritual things that happens in scriptures and we may be tempted to think it was all about good feelings most times it was not about good feelings I can tell you that in that moment when Jesus was walking by and a woman touched the hem of his garment and was healed Jesus did not necessarily feel good he probably was thinking about the cross or thinking about something else he was supposed to execute that moment when Paul and Silas sang in the prison. In the prison. That prison is worse than Kirikiriu. Kirikiri is not even the worst of prisons. The worst of prisons in Nigeria don't have names. If it has a name, it's an executive prison. There are ones that don't have names. If you have gone on evangelism in prison outreach, you won't be able to talk. You'll get there and just start crying. You'll say, preach now. you say, don't worry. The one I went to in the learning. This is, this is not, this is a death sentence. This is not a prison. There's some people here to come and kill them, you know? It's not a, it's not a prison. But the one in Acts 16 was worse. Terrible place. Sometimes they bind a particular prisoner with five guards chained. There is no even light, ventilation, non-existent. And it was in that place. No AC. No, you see, in that kind of a place, you, you won't feel spiritual. I guarantee you, you won't feel spiritual. You'll feel broken, wounded, angry, sad, depressed. But the feelings didn't matter. As they lifted out the voice and began to sing praises to God, boom, power fell from heaven. The power was so strong, it broke all the barricades. Now, if Paul and Silas listened to their soul, they won't be able to experience that kind of spiritual power. Are you listening to me? I was reading just before I came on stage. Pastor Bukun was saying that in a meeting where he was just teaching, a simple meeting, a woman who had been sick for 15 years got healed. No shouting, no dancing, no, just talking. Teaching meeting and the emphasis was not even about healings. It was just teaching normal scriptures. And somebody had been sick for 15 years and got healed. We define you know, spiritual atmospheres as noisy atmospheres, as loud gyration atmospheres. Meanwhile, it is not so. It is not so. So, but the point I'm making here is that if you're going to walk consistently in the Spirit and live consistently in the Spirit and experience the Spirit's power, well, you will have to learn the principle of the disciplines of the spiritual man. Now, there are about four or five things I want to mention here. They are simple, obvious things. But I will show you how the spiritual man employs these realities to facilitate and regulate his spiritual life. The first discipline of the spiritual man is fasting. Fasting. Although it's a very common thing, it's not a very well accepted truth in our generation. I believe that the practice and discipline of fasting 
is on the decline across this generation and it will be worse in the next generation. But to be a spiritual man, you cannot really do it without the discipline of fasting. Jesus fasted. The early apostles fasted. There is virtually no patriarch of the faith, father of the faith. When we say patriarch, we mean fathers or elders of the faith who do not give themselves consistently to this discipline of fasting. My generation does many things, but there are a few things we deliberately skip out of convenience, and we may try to even spiritualize and justify the skippings. I've read so many arguments against fasting. Fasting does not change God. God is who He is, whether you fast or not. And while that is true, uh, you see, there are some things that are not explained directly like that. You have to look beyond the sin, beyond the obvious. You have to look behind to get explanations from it. It's true that fasting does not change God. In fact, Jesus did not, as it were, give any command to his disciples to fast. He only predicted that when he is taken away, they will fast. In the epistles of Paul and Peter, you don't really see much mention of fasting in the epistles. You don't see. There's an emphasis of prayer, but you don't see an emphasis on fasting. Maybe the word doesn't even appear in all the letters. Paul, however, mentioned that he went through fasting often. Are we together? Do you agree with what I'm saying? If you are familiar with the epistles, you will understand what I'm saying. There's no emphasis of fasting in the the epistles. The fasting, in fact, that was emphasized in the Old Testament was often fasting in repentance. Where they was, they was sacrilege and hashes when they had done something wrong and they would fast. So many Christians have come to say, oh, this thing is not really that important, Joe. But I've looked at it, I've examined it, I've analyzed it, and I can tell you, ah, if you're going to be a spiritual man, you fast. It's a discipline. And when I say fast, I'm not talking of the one that Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4. And the one Moses did in Exodus. To fast supernaturally. No. I'm talking about the fast that is a discipline. One way go pay you. Where you go, they look time like this. <laughs> 12 o'clock. You go down. If you are going to be a spiritual man, you do that one. The one Jesus did, I'm not downplaying it. I'm only saying that one was a supernatural or supernaturally orchestrated fast. When it says it was led by the Spirit to the wilderness, it means that there were certain, there were certain things, there were certain, uh, let me use the word, odeshi, that the Holy Ghost gave Jesus. Don't fast 40 days if you are not led. People have run mad. Yeah. There are fastings you should not do, actually. You hear testimonies of patriarchs. The fasted 65 days confirm the details. By the time you check, you now hear, oh, I was only eating beans. You see, fast. Don't deceive yourself. <laughs> I was talking to the pastor the other day. He told me that it was not fast in the day. Yeah, that he fast at night. And I can tell you, he's a very anointed man. Yeah. He says he eats his last food by 6 in the evening. And then he now fast from 6 to 6. <laughs> so, don't be... See, right here, somebody fasting for 130 days. Confirm. He gets why? Confirm. 
<laughs> say, how you doing? Which method you use? Are you listening to me? <laughs> the regular fast I'm talking about is just a daily or weekly fast. The IS have gone, and uh, I don't know if I'll go further. Because when I heard Kenneth taking thoughts on fasting, he said the highest he has gone is three days at the stretch. So I put that as the benchmark. I also did three days. I said, would you try? Myself and my wife used to do that once in three months while we were growing up. We don't do that any longer. When we were growing up as, as Christians, three days, once in a quarter we fast. And one other brother of mine, brother Tulokoya Jai. When I said we don't do that any longer, it's not like we don't fast again, but we don't fast that consistently in that direction of three days stretch every quarter. But I'm saying here that as a spiritual man, the word fasting maybe is too religious. It sounds too religious. So maybe that it simply refers to abstinence from legitimate pleasures. Not sinful pleasures, legitimate pleasures. Something is pleasurable. It is not sinful. It is legitimate. Yet you abstain from it. It is a fundamental discipline of the spiritual man. Now, the spiritual man does not just avoid sin. He avoids distractions to spiritual vitality and fervency. He avoids everything that can derail his spiritual growth, even good things. He avoids everything that can be a a hindrance to spiritual maturity, even legitimate things. So when we are talking to spiritual people, we reduce our talk about sin. We begin to speak about consecrations that is above sin. Well, among spiritual men, we, we, one of the reasons we hardly talk about sin is because we are past that level. That's a very low level. When I say we are past that level, I'm not saying we are perfect. I'm saying we have been able to conquer the flesh to a point where sin is not really that of a problem. The real problem is now legitimate things we still have to lay aside on our part of spirituality. And one of them, fasting, abstinence. Abstinence. The spiritual man cannot, you see, when I say the spiritual man brings his body and his soul under the influence of the spirit, it will involve forfeitures of many good things. Sleep, food, even when you are married, sex. Even when you have plenty of friends, company of many people. Many of the legitimate things that you have access to, that you can freely enjoy, but you know can hinder or distract you from experiencing spiritual fervency or spiritual maturity, you will have to sacrifice it. Fasting. There is nothing like a spiritual man who does not fast. He may not fast in the regular way you think he should fast, but every spiritual man will have to work in that discipline of fasting and fasting consistently. Let me say this concerning disciplines. What makes a discipline effective is not the longevity of the discipline or the strain of the discipline or the pain that the discipline brings but the consistency of it. Every discipline we'll be mentioning here which are simple Christian practices simple Christian disciplines are effective not because of the stress that it involves but the consistency of it and the principle behind it. So fasting may not be stressful for me, for instance, at fast once or twice in a week, it is not as stressful as if I'm doing um, maybe seven days every month. But by the principle behind it, I can maximize it. But the spiritual man will fast. <laughs> what is the principle behind fasting? Fasting takes the body, 
and the soul of pleasures of the natural man. The pleasures of the natural man. It takes the body and the soul off it and then redirects the body and the soul to the pleasures of the spirit. That's the simple principle behind fasting. Fasting disciplines and trains the body to submit to the will of the spirit. Especially when we begin to define man as a spirit. Listen, when we define man as a spirit, we can say that the body and the soul has to obey the man. And that man is actually referring to the spirit. So the spirit tells the body, no food today. The body is trained because the body needs to be educated. Everybody can be educated. And by everybody, I don't mean every human being. I'm talking about every flesh can be trained, can be educated, can be indoctrinated. Every mind can be trained. Every mind can be schooled, can be indoctrinated to behave in a particular way. When I began to fast initially, of course, my body behaved in a particular way. Often crying out for food. Often complaining. Often wanting food. By virtue of consistent training, the body got used to it and would even complain when I don't fast. Yeah. Now, my body complains when I don't fast. Either by excessive um, toilet activity or even excessive bowel inconvenience. My body begins to say, uh-uh, I'm not used to, it, to this. Usually I take a Sabbath on Friday. Why is there no Sabbath? Why is there no rest? Are we together? That's a body that has been trained. It's been trained. Every, every flesh can be trained. But the training must be consistent. In James chapter 3, Paul spoke about the training of the tongue. The tongue is flesh. It can be trained. It can be tamed. It can be controlled. Initially, it may be used to saying vulgar, harsh, hostile words. But by training the tongue, it begins to now conform. So that if I say a vulgar word now, my tongue may say it slowly because it's not used to saying it. Then immediately he says, my mind will begin to blow an alarm. Pam, pam, pam. She never said that. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. Then I will have to now retrace or retract the words I've said. That's what happens when you train yourself. Fasting. To abstain from legitimate pleasures, legitimate, you know, um, activities that could distract or hinder spiritual maturity of fervency. Are we still together? Okay, let's go on to the second discipline here. Okay, let me let me just give recommendations here because sometimes we have to break this down in bits. It is ideal that you fast once a week as a Christian. It's ideal. It's also ideal that if there is a declared fast, maybe in your local church or local assembly, you participate. Remember that it's a discipline. doesn't mean you would always enjoy the fasting or feel like doing it, but it's a discipline of the Spirit. The more you fast, okay, here, in Acts 13, that's another mention of fasting. In Acts 13 and verse 2 and 3, as they fasted and prayed and ministered unto the Lord, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Paul, and Barnabas for the work I have appointed them unto so that's another emphasis in the New Testament about fasting. But like I said, you may not see too much emphasis. Oh, I didn't even try to debunk all of that. Now, I t- the, the principle behind fasting is not, of course, about changing God 
or becoming a spiritual giant overnight by fasting. Some people think, okay, if I can fast 40 days, the anointing of Moses and Elijah will come upon me. That's not the idea. The principle is that you train your body, systematically educate your mind and your body to be under the will of your spirit. You also practice self-control because I've told you that the essence of learning about the spiritual man is to be able to walk in the spirit which are deliberate things that you do. Love, joy, faithfulness, meekness, temperance. All of that is a deliberate action. It's not something that just comes upon you. You train your life, like I taught you, according to the Greek meaning of the word walk, you come into order like a soldier marching. The truth is that if you cannot control your stomach, there will be many other things you cannot control. In fact, I don't believe anybody can control his sexuality if they don't control their stomach. I don't believe that. I believe that they are both linked. If you cannot control your stomach, you don't control how you eat, the frequency of how you eat, and what you eat, and when you want to eat, you most likely won't be able to control your sexual energies and sexual passions. So self-control... The spiritual man is self-controlled. I didn't explain this in the first teaching. It was one of the things I didn't mention. Many people believe that the spiritual man is controlled by the spirit in a way that he has no say. So somebody says, I cannot keep quiet. I will disturb the pastor as he's preaching because Now, there are times where the power of the Holy Ghost can be so strong, overwhelming, but the truth is that as you mature in spirituality, you discover that it is more of you submitting to the Spirit than the Holy Spirit bullying you. Did you get that? It is more of you deliberately yielding to the Spirit than the Holy Spirit bullying you. Yeah. So, you will now understand why Paul now said, the Spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Don't say you cannot shut up when you are prophesying. The pastor now says, what you do? And me shut up. You know, say, hey, baby, I shut up. I must go. That's, a baby can talk like that. A, a spiritually immature person can talk like that. But as you grow, as you grow, even, you will notice that even in your work with the anointing, and by the anointing I mean in the demonstration of the power of God, you will notice that there are some, as you begin, there will be times that it will be too overwhelming, you cannot control. But as you, are, see, as you make that environment, a permanent habitation. You will now notice that it is something that no longer throws you down always. The key word is always. There will be times it's still throws you down. But as you grow, you will be able to stand under the weight because you will get used to the weight of glory. I'm talking about the weight of glory now. You get used to it. Are you listening to me? It doesn't mean that it's going to be a permanent experience. For some of you, you may still consistently experience that. But then, usually, as you get used to the experience, then, maybe before you could barely stand, and then suddenly you can now learn to stagger. Then suddenly you can learn to stand and even minister under that anointing. Yeah. Because, you see, the ultimate aim of the spiritual man is that he learns to minister under the anointing. And in ministering under the anointing, sometimes it can be very chaotic. In Kenetekin's experience, he may not even be able to walk it will be too overwhelming. He will have to run. But he won't fall down and become useless. You cannot minister. He will be running. So sometimes we tell people to just line up like this on a road. And you say, I'm just going to run past you. 
Because if he doesn't do that, he may feel like he will explode. So he will just run and touch his head. And then we see that. The anointing is that, is that, um, is that influential. I said, wow. But it is not the Holy Spirit bullying you. That's not the ultimate. It is we submitting. Are we together? So self-control, I'm trying to explain how the spiritual man is a self-controlled man. But that self is actually his spirit. Listen, listen, listen. We are trying to establish from the truth that man is a spirit. Self-control is not flesh-controlled. It's not soul or mind-controlled. It is spirit-controlled. But spirit and self, so we have defined the self as the spirit of a man. He now controls his body and his soul. Brings it under his spirit. That's his spiritual man. And fasting is a way to exercise. I also don't believe, like I said, that many of these works of the flesh, let's read them again and see many of the things that um, Paul identified. Galatians chapter 5 and then verse 19. I will read it in um, a few other versions or one other version. Let's just do the NLT. We don't have time. I've already spent much time on this. Are we still together? 519 in the NLT. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, now I told you that there's nothing like sinful nature. Um, The NLT did not get this accurately, but we'll pass it. The word sinful nature actually is the human flesh. But we have explained that in, I think, the third teaching. The Christian does not have two nature. We don't have divine nature and sinful nature. So sinful nature, yeah, when you see it in the NLT, it refers to the human flesh, which Jesus had. Jesus did not have sinful nature, but he had human flesh. Are we together? Some of you were not in that class, so you are confused. Get the teaching. I have explained it already. The, the Christian does not have sinful nature. He has flesh. Jesus also had flesh, but Jesus didn't have sinful nature. But the flesh has appetite, has cravings. If you allow that appetite to come under the influence of Satan, what we have is the works of the flesh. Paul was intelligent not to call it the works of sin, or even the works of sinful nature in the KJV. Because the works of the flesh. He's talking about when the flesh has been hijacked by Satan, by the influence of Satan, to now do sinful things. Are we clear? Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like this. Now let's just take one of them, for instance, which is very central to what we're discussing. Drunkenness. Drunkenness often comes by excessive intake of alcoholic or alcoholic drinks. And when I said excessive intake, do not say, eh, hey, Pastor said that uh, it's excessive intake that is the bad thing. So one shot, so okay, if I take one shot. Actually, the Bible teaches that one shot does not usually end at one shot. According to Proverbs 25, it says you will take one, you will take another one, you will take another one, till your eye is red. Then when you fall inside gutter and wake up the morning, you still say, give me another one. Now, so you continue. Because it's very addictive. But for instance, drunkenness is traced to lack of self-control. Lack of self-control. And anytime you see, particularly in the Old Testament, when somebody got drunk, it was not just because he took wine, but because he took too much wine. Are we together? 
So, gluttony is a sin in this category. Gluttony and drunkenness are in the same category. But the works of the flesh. What you are calling, I'm a foodie. I'm a foodie. Works of the flesh. Are we together? Food is my love language. Now, we say, allow Eve chop tree. We all of us still uh, cry for her. The old creation grown it, waiting for the manifestation is Eve. Foodie, I'm a foodie. Snake, give her a tree. She chop. Claim out. Give husband. Husband self, now foodie. Foodie family. <laughs> What's of the flesh? Now, we see that it was not really eating that was sinful. It was eating what was not supposed to be eaten. Do you get that now? So we are saying fasting is abstinence. That even though eating, for instance, mean that I fast on Friday is not sinful, but well, I've made up my mind that day is off. So I deliberately say, even though it is not a sin, but I'm not going to do it. So this is how we look at spirituality. By practicing self-control, we affirm our identities as spiritual people or as spirits. That all things not be bread and fish. You see, all that, when Jesus was teaching them about this, like Mr. Sam was teaching us two weeks ago in church, he was trying to say, shift your attention. You are too focused on fleshy desires. And it's not because fleshy desires are sinful. I mean, if it was sinful, I would not give you bread and fish. Why would Jesus give you sin to eat? I won't give you bread and fish if it was sinful. But you cannot make that the entire summary of your life. So he says, man shall not live by bread alone. Bread alone. The key word is alone. Everybody say alone. And I believe one way to apply that scripture is to take one day out of your week and say alone. Man shall not live by bread alone. So one day off. You will not die. Tell your neighbor you will not die. If you die, we will raise you up. Did <laughs> I? Are we clear on that? All right. Number two, second discipline. Yeah. Now I'm trying to show you that all of these things are simple things, but there's a way the spiritual man uses it, and there's a perspective the spiritual man has on these disciplines that makes it count. Let's talk about Bible reading as a discipline for the spiritual man. Now the first thing that comes to my mind when I hear Bible reading is the principle behind Bible reading also. Once again, remember it's a discipline. You will not always feel like doing it. You will not always enjoy it. That's why it's a discipline. So always enjoy Bible reading. It's something that may never be experienced on this side of eternity, really. And it's not just Bible. It also includes every form of reading. Because mental internalization sometimes is tedious, strenuous. Readers often grow old quickly in their body. Yeah. Their eyes like Bishop Yudipo pop out. Not, I'm not making jests or making fun, but then it's, it takes a toll on you. So it's, so reading is work. It's labor. Reading is not drinking water. It's labor. Except you are just looking at the book. If you are reading, uh, if you are reading to understand, it's now worse if you are reading to teach. That one. You have to read from two with two with four eyes. The two eyes to internalize and understand. The other two in the stead of the person you are teaching. So you are saying, will he understand it if I say it like this? Will the person get it? What example can I use to break it down? Are we together? But Bible reading is a discipline of a spiritual man. 
Now, Bible reading fundamentally is to conform your mind. Please note that while fasting fundamentally controls your body, Bible reading controls your mind and eventually in turn controls your behavior, which is your actions which will involve your body. Please note the purpose of Bible reading. The spiritual man reads to understand because we have seen that one of the ways we identify a spiritual man is that he understands spiritual things. And it says the Holy Ghost teaches these things. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Another version will say using spiritual words to explain spiritual realities. Are we still together? <laughs> now, the aim of Bible reading is to bring your mind to what is called a biblical world view. A biblical world view. Every woman has a world view. That is, there's a way you see life. For some people, how I see life, what do we gain if we don't make money? Life is money. Money is life. For some people, they came to this world to enjoyment is life. If there's a party, they are very happy. Because there's no life without a party. For some other people, maybe becoming influential, famous, popular. So everybody is governed by a worldview. The spiritual man is governed by a biblical worldview. He sees everything from the lenses of scriptures. Just like I asked you in the beginning of the teaching. Who is a, a natural man? You say the man is not born again. And I asked if he's rich. He says he's a natural man. Now, that's because you have allowed the Bible view of life to determine how you see people. If he's a rich man, he's still a natural man. If you have a crush on him, if you feel attracted to him, he's still a natural man. Because what is controlling your worldview is scripture. This is why we read the Bible. Are you listening to me? Many people on their way or in their pursuits to being spiritual misuse the Bible. Read it for the religious purpose of doing morning devotion. That's why many Christians don't contend for understanding. They just want to mark the biblical register. I have read the Bible today. Now when you understand the purpose of Bible reading, you will now see why, oh, the, the ultimate aim of Bible reading is Bible understanding. In the early church, there was no much Bible reading. What they had was Bible hearing. Let's start from the Jews. You know, I, I, I updated a Facebook post some weeks back explaining how audio Bible, particularly when you are tired and fagged out, is a very great tool to internalize scriptures. And I saw so many spiritual people say, Hey! How can you say audio Bible is good? The Bible says we should read the Bible, not hear the Bible. The Bible did not say faith comes by... How does it come? Did it say by looking? Reading? Yeah, now hearing there does, does not now mean that if you read the Bible, faith will not come. It just talks about a pathway into your spirit. That's by, your, by what you hear, by what you see, or by what you say. We can channel scriptures into your spirit. So, someone was actually, one, particular, one person in particular was actually very, you know, antagonistic about the post. And all of that. I didn't even respond to the person because I, didn't, I was that day, I didn't have power. 
I will have given him a very sarcastic reply. He will go and get depressed. I can be like that. If I want to target you, I can pray in tongues to get an answer for you. Yeah. Give me a few minutes. Let me, let me download something first. When I, hear, when I give you, when you want to comment, you will think twice. You will now say, please, I'm only asking. You, you will now be very courteous. Because some of you just, suppose, you know, in Facebook, you get data. You can't write anything. When anybody is skinny, <laughs> officials have been uploading videos. Everybody say, hey, I've never, this is the first time I'm hearing you preach. I didn't know you are like this. More grace, sir. i You are underrating me because you are seeing me right. Now you heard me, you are thinking I'm a great man of God. You, don't, you are so carnal. People like that that look at Paul and say he's very short. It's not a God's general. A God's general cannot be short. <laughs> Are we still together? But I'm trying to say here that people can read and not experience the maximization of God's word because they don't understand that the essence of reading is to you know, put their mind in a place where they have a biblical world view. Where you see everything from the lens of scriptures. You see money from the lens of scriptures. Oh, one day we will get to that point where we will see money and we will see a servant. Say, this is a servant. What can we use it for? Not, some people, when they see money, money is music. You don't get it. Money is music. Why is money music? Because their world view has <laughs> been Mamona is unmonetized. You see, that's why, you see, when the psalmist say, I rejoice at your word as one that has found great spoil. There's a word view he has. He sees scriptures and he's like, Wow! When last did you do that? It's word views. I remember what I was trying to say. I was trying to explain the Jewish history of hearing scriptures. Because at that time, they had the Torah, which was the five books of Moses. Or let's even start from the time of Moses. Because by the time we have Moses, we don't have all of that Deuteronomy was established in, more in the time of Joshua. It was Moses' book, but it was more useful in the time of Joshua. Are we together? Follow me. I'm just trying to establish how hearing scripture evolved. So what they did was that it was written in... Um, well, firstly, it was written on stones. Subsequently, scrolls. But it was only in the custody of priests. We had teaching priests. Ezra was one. So we had teaching priests. And um, they read the scripture out loud in public congregations. What we see in Luke chapter 4, like I taught you when I was teaching the theology of favor, was a sample of what happened in Jewish gatherings. There was no Bible. Nobody had access to the Bible. So somebody, if you want to hear the Bible, you come to church. Somebody will now read it out loud. It was always the hearing of scriptures, not the reading of scriptures. Or when I said not the reading, it was it was internalized not by personally reading it, but by hearing somebody say it. Are we together? And then when we got to the early church, Paul's letters were also in scrolls. They were often transported from one church to the other. If you read some of the letters, Paul will say, Read the letter I wrote to the Galatian church. Read it too. So those letters were moved. So when they went so it was not like there was a photocopy machine and everybody had access to the letter. They heard it in the church. So, hearing scripture was to internalize and produce a worldview that was biblical. 
Now we have Bibles in prints and um, in phones and various versions and all of that. You must understand that all of this should be taken advantage of towards producing the spiritual mind that perceives and sees from the lenses of scriptures. Everything you see, scriptures, scriptures. You go to an environment, everybody is distracted with what is happening physical, you see it the way God sees. Because the biblical worldview is the divine worldview. If you can see things from the lenses of scriptures, you are seeing things from the lenses of God himself. That's why God and his word are the same. So once you can see it, how the Bible sees it, you see, nobody can convince me to see homosexuality in a different way. When I see homosexuality, the first thing that comes to my mind is what I taught you people in Leviticus. Oti Yahweh. Confusion. You can't you can change my I say, hey, it's the type of love. Type of love will come. Type of Yahweh in me. It's because my, I have soaked my soul in the scriptures so well. Nobody can convince me to something else. I soak my soul, baptize my soul in the Bible. Every time I see something, I judge it according to the lens of scriptures. The lens of scriptures. And you can, when you get to that point, that's when you are really a spiritual man. But there's no ojo about it. It will come by consistently reading the Bible. Even when you don't feel like it. Many of the things you feel like, oh, I'm reading, but it's not entering. It's entering. One day you will discover now you are behaving in a particular way, taking a particular way because of what you have always heard and read. So, why we want to judge biblical maximization? Don't be too quick. I say what I read today, Kutia Wale. Don't worry, just make sure that you are doing it every time. There was a time in my life, if I have a conversation with my friends, everything must always be scripture, 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 Bible say, Bible say. It was almost impossible. So, when I hear somebody say, let's separate Bible. You don't put padlock in my mouth. I have no other opinion except the biblical opinion. Once you separate the Bible, I'll become different dumb. I have read scripture so much. Everything, everyone we told jokes. I mean, <laughs> whatever, my brother wrote something. I think he wrote it on Twitter. Uh, it was about whether punishing his dog or something. And the only thing that could come to my mind is a scripture that said, a righteous man takes care of his own animal. And I just wrote it to him. He said, hey, what are you saying? He said, said bro, it's no vex. Now, too much Bible. Now, I wait just come up from my mouth. Everything was on play. Say, we're just cutting through scripture. Ah. So, some of you know Pastor Ebele on my Facebook page. You see us cut through with scriptures. We can't. It's, it, just, it becomes our natural habitat. It's just how we live, it's how we play, it's how we fight, it's how we walk, it's how we talk. Scripture, everything is scripture, scripture, scripture. That's how the Christian life should be. That's what we mean when we say Jesus is the word of God. Everything is said. Trace to scripture, everything. So it begins to affect your worldview, your interpretation of life. That's you see, a spiritual man is recognized by his perspective to things. And it is the Bible that brings that kind of a mentality. He sees a sinner, he's thinking about how can I save him? His perspective, his worldview. Many of you see sinners and you are seeing customer. Customer, Lele, you hey, if I can build him like this, you'll be able to. Because your worldview is not yet biblical. When you see a woman, the first thing that comes to mind is, is he safe? Is he safe? How can I help him? How can I help him serve God, love God, know God? Are we together on that? But it is all about, all about consistent biblical reading. Let's go on here. I want to mention a few other things. 
prayer prayer now unfortunately much of prayer in our generation is carnal because it is selfish remember that we are trying to talk about the living and the walking in the spirit living and walking in the spirit is the spiritual man and I taught you last week you can pray in the flesh I have said it again and I will say it again I am not comfortable with many of the prayer movements online prayer movements in Nigeria because it is too selfish I am not see I don't think I can blame ministry I have given up on it because the things I address nobody will talk about it it's only me with my big mouth when prayer is too selfish, I question its authenticity. How do you pray every day from 6 to 6.30 for 3 to 5 days? And the only thing you pray is about my pocket is full. My channel has entered. The Lord has done this for me. Why? Because when I check the Bible and I see the emphasis of prayer, I notice that first, it is more spiritual prayers than carnal prayers. It is more that I will be done prayers than I want to chop life and enjoy and succeed prayers. So I'm very good with many of the prayer movements. You see, prayer is good, but many good things can be abused. Many good things can be abused. That's why Babala will pray. And Baba pray. Have you seen that picture of prostitutes coming together to pray? They will do morning devotion before they start work. Oh God, bring customer, make customer come. Touch their hearts, make them come. Retreat customer. Now why? Because prayer has now become a means to achieving selfish purposes. The whole thing has been, has been abused. So when I see people claiming to pray, hey, I, I, I feel sad really. I wish it was that straightforward to say prayer is prayer. Eh, eh, prayer is not prayer. <laughs> Are you listening to me? That's why Jesus had to teach people how to pray. Teach us to pray. Because if you just open your mouth, wow. You would think you are praying. But you are making noise. So, in Ephesians 6.18, it says, All prayer must be done in the Spirit. All prayers, supplications must be done in the Spirit. The spiritual man prays differently. Now listen, a natural man can pray. Are you listening to me? I've seen unbelievers pray and God answers. Yeah. Prayer is that interesting. That a man can be about to die and say, The Lord God of Christians, help me. And I say, Ah! You know, because what God honors is faith. Once faith is released, boom. God is moved. Faith moves God as it were. But there's a way a spiritual man prays. A spiritual man does not pray. All about himself. Selfish prayers, carnal prayers, self-centered prayers. It's not how we know a spiritual man. It's not how we know a spiritual man. Check the prayers of, of Paul. You will notice, like I said, first they were about spiritual realities. Then they were about others. Then they were about the furtherance of the gospel. That's the emphasis. So if prayer is always, you know, domiciled about yourself, what you have, what you collect, it's not a good it's not a good sign of spirituality. I was, sorry I cut my conversation. I was saying that the reason why I think I will not blue is because many of these things are done by renowned, renowned churches and top leaders. 
and um, I am their enemy. Sometimes I hear some of the things that they say about me. People send me screenshots of some of the conversations a man of God had about me, and I say, Don't worry. I'm not trying to blow, so it's fine. If you don't like me because I address these issues, it's fine. I'm not trying to blow. It's okay. But I, I, I will say the truth. Are you listening to me? Whether I blow a minute or not, what I owe is the truth. If I say the truth, I'm fine. I may never make it to the big stage. I may invite the big conferences, but I'm fine. It's okay. But I'll tell you the truth. And if I ever get there, I will make them regret that you invited me. I'll say the truth. I don't do all this so that I will call you again. I don't do that. I owe God that accountability. And when I got there, I told them the truth. They like me or not, it's none of my business. So, prayer, discipline, please note, you will not always feel like praying, but if you pray consistently, it is very effective. Let's talk about praying in the Spirit, which is praying in tongues. Very powerful. Now, every time I have to do something that is dominantly about spirit expression, what I do, and I learned that from Kenneth Hagin, is to pray more in tongues. Pray more in tongues. Please note that in Charismatic theology, praying in the spirit is synonymous with praying in tongues. When I say charismatic theology, I'm talking about, you see, we have charismatic Pentecostals, those are seeming denominations. We have Orthodox, we have, um, there are several of, like that. Like that. Um, but in, when we say charismatic, we're talking about people who major on the gifts of the spirit. And most of the churches that we actually call Pentecostals are actually supposed to be called charismatics. That is, they give themselves to praying in tongues, to gift of the spirits. They believe in miracles, signs and wonders and all of that. Are we together? In charismatic theology, praying in the spirit is synonymous with praying in tongues. It does not mean that you can only pray in the spirit when you pray in tongues. In Ephesians 6.18, it says all prayers must be done in the spirit. So you can pray in understanding and still pray in tongues and pray in the spirit. But... In the theology of charismatics, which is from First Corinthians 14, Paul says, I would pray in the Spirit, I will also pray in understanding. And praying in the Spirit, they refer to praying in tongues. Are we clear? So, to give yourself to more expressions of charismatic activities, like we learned when we are teaching on the favors of the Spirit, praying in tongues is one of the shortest way to enter that realm. Kenneth Hagin says, every time he wants to have a Holy Ghost meeting, he prays one hour extra in the spirit. One hour extra. So if he prays four hours normally, he will add one more extra strictly in the spirit. It's a simple way to assess the activities and operations of the spirit. So in First Corinthians fourteen two, he says, "He that speaketh in his own tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. No man understands what he said. However, in the spirit, he speaketh mysteries." He affirms that praying in tongues is a shortcut to the realm of the spirit. Are we together? Are we together? Are we together? However, praying in the Spirit can also be abused. And so many people are praying in the Spirit but not maximizing. Let me not use the word abuse. It can be underutilized. In First Corinthians 14, it was actually abuse of the praying in the Spirit that made Paul write the chapter. So instead of giving themselves to teaching and doctrine, they were overly praying in tongues. So Paul was now saying, it is good to pray in tongues, but it cannot be excessive. Particularly when you are with the mic. It can be excessive when you are with the mic. And you are supposed to either bring a revelation, bring a teaching, bring a doctrine. 
Now, to maximize the private prayer of praying in tongues, try to pray with your mind involved. There's a statement in First Corinthians 14 that says, When I pray with my spirit, my spirit is my mind is unfruitful. That is what I call a starting point, or that is what I call um, a default setting. Everybody say default setting. However, there's a maturity that comes with Christianity that your mind is fruitful when you pray in the Spirit. And one of the ways you can do that is to pray with an emphasis. For instance, I want to pray for my wife. Her name is Adeta Mola. I have her name on my mind. I have a face on my mind and I'm praying in the Spirit. My mouth is in the Spirit. My mind is on her. We get that? That's how to maximize praying in tongues. Because the spiritual man cannot grow or develop or be sustained only by activities that are concerned with his spirit. His mind and his body must always be involved. Or should usually be involved. Another thing. In prayers, one of the most powerful expressions of prayers are symbolic actions. If you are praying and understanding, listen, practice these simple things, very simple things. They were the secrets of our fathers. If you are praying in understanding and you feel like, and I'm using the word feel like, but it should actually be perceived or sense, like raising your hand, beat. Don't say, how my, how my hand is, it's not, it's not important. It is, what is important is my spirit. <laughs> now like this, Moses stand. Israel won a battle because Moses did like this. Are you getting it? There are times you are praying, you, the sense is kneel down. Don't say, no, I'm seated with Christ. I'm not living with Christ. Do that. Yeah. Some of these symbolic or sim- symbolic actions are so powerful in the spirit. Elijah wants to raise the dead man with sins Elisha and he spread his body across the, the dead boy. So sometimes he just kneel and pray. Stand, move around. Not sit down for bed. And you now woke up. In Jesus' name. It can't be a spiritual man like that. Sometimes you are, you feel like, sometimes, sometimes I'm praying. I heard Pastor Sam Chaka, or Reverend Sam Chaka, say this, that every time he prays in the spirit to a point where it begins to affect even his dances. Now, and I know what he's talking about. I pray to a point where I am so loud and so animated. And my legs can be throwing and I'm fixed. At that point, the electricity is high. If I touch you, you may never remain the same again. Yeah. Sometimes it is my fist just twisting and because there's a point where what happens in the spirit moves to your mind, colonizes your soul, and expands into to even your behavior in prayer. When you are praying, you are, so that's why I tell people when you are praying in the spirit of when you are praying, this rich taking number and because here it's not to pray as it's not to pray in this kind of service. You. You, there's a time to have this ground in prayer. Sometimes we say this to some people think uh, pastor is just pastor is, must I be allowed to be to be fervent? You don't get it. You don't get it. You don't get it. When you get it, you will now understand that all those things are actually realities that are being mirrored in the spirit realm. Yeah. They are, they are just a mirror form. Also, I told you, Moses raised his hand like this, and because of that, Israel won a battle. So all this 
me the way I'm the way I'm yeah, I cannot shout to me. <laughs> that cool, that cool. Are you listening to me? I'm not saying you should always shout when you are praying. I'm saying that times, especially when I'm praying in tongues, that you can accumulate that anointing. Bang, 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 bang. And when we do sustain prayers, we don't do that anymore. When we do three hours, we notice that some of you tap on like that. You are praying. When you start praying, you say, Then you hear my voice. I can jitter you. Pray! Your life depends on it. Then you will stop hearing me. You will be hearing yourself. You start hearing the spirit. Then you have entered autopilot mode. I won't have to ginger you again. What you love? We have to tell you in Jesus' name we are praying. In Jesus' name we are praying. What you Are we together? These things are realms, but it's often in sustenance. So what? Some people can say, "What if you pray for five minutes? God will still answer you." It's true. But the spiritual man many times prays long. Sustain it. Praise not because all of these realities often come at the end or towards the latter edges of prayer practices. Do we get it? So have a mental focus. Sometimes we pray and we put pictures of people we are praying for. Put scriptures. Don't pray without your mind. Don't pray with your mind strained. It's not effective. It's counter, but it's not too effective. Like that. Sometimes pray with the Bible scripture. Carry your Bible and look at it and be praying in the spirit. Sometimes plug music. And let there be an emphasis of the music. It can be an expression of desire. I want to know you, Lord. As he's praying, that's what was in your mind. You are praying that. It makes for effectiveness even in praying in tongues. Alright? One last thing here. Church attendance and relationships is also a discipline. You may fall in love with unbelievers. It's a feeling. Discard it. You may have the crush on a natural man. It's a feeling. Discard it. Your relationships and the place you spend time, which is in church, is also a discipline. You may not feel like coming to church. Even in church, it can be boring. Discipline says, mm, we live here. We live here. I have I've had my ex before. Now, almost every week, I have to hold the microphone. But I've had experiences. I've had, I, was, I was a time in my life for several years. So just come to church every day. Repeating the same routine. No microphone for anybody. You stay there. You stay there. You stay there. You stay there. And it was a very boring moment. My wife and I were still discussing about it. When I grew up, there were some ministers in church then. Once we see them, we, know, we pray throughout this meeting. Because they were not too animated. They are likely to sleep under them. Are we together? There are anointed men who talk kule kule. Have you heard Andrew Mark talk before? God is going to give you a lift. Now you don't have to. Wait, you will be saying, Baba, sorrow is okay. You go, sorrow is okay. If you want to hear, you hear. Now you sorry. Point I'm making is that it will, not, it will not always be your fire and brimstone approach. Some of you, you grew up under shouting environment. So if PJ just say, Are we together? You are utterly law. You are utterly law. You have to train. It's a discipline. Train yourself. Train yourself. Discipline yourself. Discipline yourself. Church attendance and certain relationships, the spiritual man has to maintain it. One of the reasons this is important is because God has made the spiritual man by design not to function independently. 
This spiritual man functions at his best in communion with others. There's a scripture that I uh, saw Reverend Austin quote in Jude. Let me show you this. Jude. Verse 19. Jude 1 19. Read that for me if you are there. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. One of the mark of a carnal man is that he separates himself. Jude one nineteen. People who are spiritual people, you see that they bond with other spirituals. Go to church, have spiritual friends. But it's discipline because sometimes do you know sometimes spiritual people can be very wicked people. In quotes, wicked. Some of you have nicer friends as unbelievers. Oh, Mojisu, but they're very nice. But this one that is a spiritual bro. He's not nice. He doesn't smell nice. See that? Hey, he does. I say spiritual. And he says that he's the one that must be our friend. Hey. But discipline. <laughs> oh, sure. So the first my wife and I had learning. Very brute men. They look like cavemen. But beyond their physical appearance and the even me, I was a brute man, I was a caveman. Let me not accuse other people. I was a caveman. If you see me, I was a disaster going somewhere to happen. <laughs> because sometimes when the Holy Spirit begins to teach you, eh, He will first deal with your spirit, your mind, before it begins to affect your. Eh, so before, before sweet swagger come, he go if he take. no, no poise, no demeanor, no. Now just boy life. <laughs> just cut out, no arrangement. It was in that state my wife found me. You know that the Bible says that finds a wife, like, but the finding is mutual. The finding was mutual. But she saw through the biblical lens. Even though it was scattered, but in future, all line. That's the end of my teaching, the disciplines of the spiritual man. We've run out of time, but let's have questions. If there are any, let's have questions. We've recorded the five teachings we've had, but let's have questions on any of the subjects. There is a microphone that a Judy fella is um, about to brandish. If you need it, please wave to her. Wave to her, wave to her, wave to her. If there are no questions, I will ask my own question. I am guessing there is no question. Dr. Blessing. Um, thank you, sir. So this question is about uh, being loud. I don't like to pray loud. I must confess. Uh, I prefer quiet. 
However, I do pray loud sometimes. So the question is this. So because I live in a student environment, uh, very spiritual Christian students tend to have these videos and, and hotspots, let me put it that way. I and many other people like me have gone to work since morning. We're trying to rest at night. And it's just, it's just a lot of tongues. Yeah. <laughs> now, I don't really know how to deal with that. There was a day, it was so much, I was, I was very tempted. And I live on the top floor, so I, I was almost tempted to come out in the middle of the night and come and talk to them that the next time I hear you praying out loud, we're going to have problems. But it's really more of a personal conflict. So there was another day I now saw something similar. I thought it was actually a party. And in that moment I just felt, which of you prefer now? This party that wants to take place at night or the ones that speak in tongues? So my question is this. How do you manage situations like that when people pray out so loud and you are not sure if to tell them to temper it because then you don't want to come off as not being spiritual or you know trying to limit spiritual activities and all that. Firstly, for those who do those, they are carnal. Yeah. Once you use your spirituality to inconvenience another person, that's selfishness. That's what I'm telling you. You see, everything must be analyzed. Don't just say because it's spiritual, it is prayer. It is spiritual. Prayer can be done in a very selfish way. Yeah. I grew up in that kind of environment in my hostel, I remember the name of the hostel, Ashwara, was the mosque beside that hostel, so we called it Ashwara Hostel, with the first set of tenants that lived there, Christians and Muslims. There was one brother of ours, when I say brother of ours, Christian who was always loud. And when I say loud, you think I'm loud? Have you heard words vibrate before in prayer? Yeah. <laughs> you don't know loud. And he did that over and over and over and over again. Now, I eventually comforted him, but I didn't comfort him for myself. Now, this way I get to your own answer. If you are going to comfort them, don't comfort it for yourself. Explain to them how what they do, although it's good, can be a hindrance to the gospel. That's why the spiritual man... You see, I told you that the spiritual man, eh, he's thinking about how does he affect the gospel. That's the first thing in his mind. Not, am I enjoying it? Am I enjoying the prayer? Eh? How does he affect the gospel? If an unbeliever who is tired, genuinely tired, and needs his rest, has to be starved of sleep, and because of that tomorrow, he makes a medical mistake and somebody dies, and he's depressed because he loses his job, and he traces to the fact that one Christian brother was praying. You think you ever become born again? You think you ever want to be born again? So you ask, how does it affect the gospel? It's a good thing. It's a spiritual thing, but how does it affect the gospel? So that kind of person is wrong. But if he should be confronted, he should be confronted and he should be explained to him, not because of you. Now you, what is your own is that you must get used to it. Yeah. The spiritual man ad- adapts, he adjusts. The spiritual man is unlike the natural man who has to have his way. The spiritual man must train himself. You see, it's all part of training. And in those moments where he seems you cannot sleep, you must now talk to God about it. God, I need to rest. Please give me sleep. Oh yeah. It's the same thing that, like I was explaining Paul and Silas, who beyond their feelings of pain and inconvenience could still be productive. So, it may take a while, but you have to train yourself 
to still do what you need to do because you have superiority and yeah, some of those superiority may have to be supernatural so you can have supernatural sleep in that kind of situation. But it will not be fair to now go and confront them for your own personal convenience, no. But for the sake of the gospel, you can let them see. It's not about me, but this thing you are doing, eh? you are not giving because the right impression. People will assume that we are noise makers, nuisances, and it is not true. The Bible tells us to respect authority. This thing you are doing is actually not even fitting to the authority of this school. Because it's noise pollution in a sense. In the spirit, you speak at mystery. However, in the flesh, that will make it a noise. And people have to sleep. This is, moreover, this is not a private property. You are not in your house. So you have to now explain to them that they are, it is prayer, but it is selfish prayer. The prayer may be moving demons, so scattering chairs, but it's selfish. And they have to now adapt into it. And that's why you see, I told you the spiritual man has to adapt. I often prayed loud when everybody travels, and I'm the only one in the house. Sometimes I'm the only one because all the days I don't go home, I'm just at home. So I'll just take personal retreats, no school, nothing. Don't be praying, be praying, be praying. I will pray as loud as blocks away could be hearing me. But I don't have any immediate neighbors. But when they are there, I adapt. I pray a little bit quietly. So it's because man must adapt. Whether it's one praying or is one under the influence of the prayer. But for like I said directly to you, you can adapt. If you get used to it enough, you see that you can adapt. You can adapt. And it happens with babies a lot. If a baby sleeps in a noisy environment, he may not wake up if the noise continues. If he slept when it was quiet, when noise now starts in the middle, he most likely will wake up. It's all about, about adaptation. So you can train yourself. And like I said, some of them, sometimes you will have to even trust God for supernatural influence. You can't sleep, you need to sleep. There's noise happening. God, I need to help me. I need to help me. It is either God will make your sleep very short, yet refreshing, or God will help you. Because God is not wicked. It's not like He's more concerned about them than you. But don't go and correct them based on your personal convenience. That's not the right thing to do. Out of, if you should be thinking about it, you should be thinking about, ah, these people are babies. They don't know this thing. Let me not stop them. Let me hope that one day they will learn. And then you can even teach them that actually this is how you should do. This is the proper approach to it because of the effect on the gospel. I hope you are clear, Dr. Blessing. Alright, is there another question? Let's see, hand here. Sister Shee's hands are raised. Um, sir, does it happen that, or can it happen that there are times that suddenly you have the urge to just, this concerns praying in the spirit, that sometimes you have the urge to just start praying in the spirit and you don't have a specific direction as to. Oh, yes, um, that's the Romans 8, Romans 8 28 emphasis. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Holy Spirit helps our infirmity. So, yeah, but usually keep your heart open. That's why I said, even if you start from a default mode of blank, stick your heart open. Many times we don't wait enough to now receive specification. There may be times when God will not even tell you what it is the issue. But there, some other times, if you keep your heart open, what happens usually is that I start out blank. I start out very neutral. And I allow God to determine my emphasis. Put a body in my soul. Give me an emphasis. I begin to pray. I begin to pray. It may take the third hour before the body will now come. Sometimes it is something I have to write down. Sometimes it is something I just have to say out. Sometimes it is a song. Sometimes it is a message. Sometimes it is something about some other person. But if we wait long enough, we will notice that. That's what is called interpretation of tongues. That's the fundamental practice of interpretation. Interpretation of tongues is not primarily about Eli, Lama, Saka. God is saying, Rogo, Zinda, Yana. 
thou should not fear. That's not the idea. You can pray in the spirit for five hours, and the burden in your heart is accidents are disannulled. Two words or three words, accidents are nullified at all. That's because interpretation is not translation. I thought about this some years ago. Because somebody can say, ah, leme, lene, sekel, takrashin. Yeah, it is, God, God, do it again. Interpretation is not translation. That, that are two different things. You can pray in one hour. And when you are interpreting this in English, it is five minutes interpretation. It's just, this is, this is, this and the second spirit. We understand. Because, you know, I taught you in the first or second class that the realm of the spirit is beyond time, space, or even matter, as it were. It's a very, it's an infinite realm. So, but yeah, it's, you can begin like that, but you can, if you wait, sometimes you can get a specific body. One more question. We trust that you've been blessed by this teaching. We look forward to receiving your testimonies, prayer requests, and feedback. You can send us a mail at judamaye at yahoo.com. That is J-U-D-A-H-M-A-Y-E at yahoo.com. Till next time, remain in the consciousness of God's word and power. Thank you.